When planning a cruise, there are many things to consider, including which cruise line you'll sail, where you'll visit, and even what fancy socks you're going to pack for formal night. Some decisions are a matter of preference. Others are based on constraints like price and schedule. That's why we're covering the best time to cruise on this episode of the Cruise Habit Podcast. You're about to set sail on the Cruise Habit Podcast, an audio voyage through the world of ships, ports, and beyond. Welcome aboard. A question we run across almost every single day on the internet machines uh, has to do with the best time to cruise. People ask, that, you know, they want to they wanna book something, they ask, what is the best time? Well, what does that mean, really? So we should probably start out by defining that. And it doesn't mean that there is one, uh, one definition for the best time. But for the purpose of this conversation and based on uh, why most people ask me or, or the way that what, what most people are trying to figure out when they ask that question, uh, we're going to be talking, one, primarily about cost. So best time being the least expensive time or the most economical time. Um, but this relates to a variety of options. And because this question is frequently asked by people who are reasonably new to cruising, and because uh, most of you listening are in North America, we're going to mostly talk about uh, the Caribbean. Though I will mention at a couple points how this relates to Alaska, and the two actually kind of connect in, in their pricing, funny enough. Um, we're also going to be talking, for that same reason, about mostly Pricing that has to do with contemporary lines and, and to a degree premium lines. What I mean contemporary lines, I mean like uh, Norwegian Cruise Line, Carnival Cruises, and Royal Caribbean. Premium lines being Holland America, Princess, and Celebrity. Um, there are others and there aren't always clear lines. We talk about this in uh, in the first time uh, section of cruisehabit.com. There's an article all about choosing the best cruise line for you. And in there, we explain the difference between those different types of cruise lines. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can check that out. But the reason, uh, again, that we're talking mostly about contemporary and somewhat premium lines here is not just because that's where a lot of people start out in their cruising uh, career, but also as you move up market, the rules change a lot because the ships move around more. You don't see... Um, you know, okay, well, for this six-month period, this ship is in this part of the world. You don't see that as much. So what are we going to cover? Well, uh, we're going to talk about the best times to to book for the sake of pricing, but also the most expensive times. So maybe, you know, you don't have uh, the option of going when things are absolutely the best deal, or, or maybe that's not uh, critically important to you, but you still perhaps want to avoid the most expensive times to cruise. We'll also talk about why these highs and lows happen. Um, I think that that can help in understanding the industry, uh, if that's something you're interested in, how these ships move around and how pricing happens, but also so that you can apply this knowledge on in different ways, uh, different scales, different cruise lines, even, even if you're listening to this episode in the future. I mean, not like you're in the future. I mean, I mean, like when this episode's two years old, you know what I mean. Uh, see, so if perhaps things change a little bit, you can still understand how this tends to apply. Now on to the part that you actually tuned in for, maybe. And we'll talk about the, the dates, right? So we'll go in chronological order here. And I'm going to start just by saying, as a blanket statement, January through the beginning of March can be a fantastically economical time to cruise the Caribbean. And there are reasons for this. For one, a lot of people just took their winter holidays. 
whether whether on a cruise or not. You know, kids are off school in, in December. A lot of people uh, have some days off or may take, uh, you know, an entire part of the month off. So a lot of people are already going on vacation, visiting families or cruising during that time. So January for, for most of us, that's the time to get back to work and get back to school, whether you like it or not. Um, in addition, uh, well, I would say along with that, spring break hasn't started yet. So you know, it's funny, winter break ends, and, and I, and having not been in school for a long time, I tend to forget winter break ends, but spring break really isn't that far around the corner. Unless, of course, you're a student sitting in a classroom January 4th, and then you're probably thinking, what are you talking about, Billy? Um, it seems like forever. I get that. Fair, fair enough. So uh, within this January through beginning of March period, remember there is President's Day. And while often holidays mean higher pricing, President's Day can be one of the more reasonable long weekends. Um, you will find, and, and we, for this uh, for this recording, we looked at a lot of pricing data. I made all sorts of charts. I crashed Excel like 19 times. And if any of them uh, were pretty, I'd probably put them in the show notes, but I'm not that good at that. Um, but you will see some spikes. So while January through beginning of March is, uh, it can be an inexpensive time to go and President's Day can be one of the more economical long weekends, you will still see that a shorter sailing where the focus is that Monday that many people have off could be a little bit higher than the surrounding dates, but it can still be a reasonable time to go. Once you get into like the second week of March, that's when you start to see prices really go up in the Caribbean because of spring break. Um, this is obviously going to be more true in the contemporary part of the market than uh, premium lines because spring breakers, generally speaking, we're talking about, you know, high school, college, um, and, you know, so families and college, and they're more likely to cruise on lines like Norwegian, Caribbean, uh, Norwegian Carnival, uh, or Royal Caribbean, excuse me. Uh, after that first part of the year, then we get into, um, you know, the, that spring break peak. And the next time that it gets to be, that, that we really see some consistently low, uh, or consistent pricing, I should say, is actually summertime. And summertime is really the most expensive time of the year to cruise the Caribbean. And it, that can seem funny if you haven't, uh, if you haven't looked at why a lot of these things happen, it's like, well, I, Billy, when I think of summertime, I think of beach vacations. So why would it be more expensive? Well, there's two reasons. One, a lot of people are thinking beach vacations. So supply and demand, you know, it's real high demand. And coupled with that is low supply. Uh, why is it low supply? Well, a lot of the ships that cruise the Caribbean for a lot of the year, they're home ported in, let's say, Port Miami or Port Everglades, and they actually leave to go sail Europe or Alaska during the summer months because you can't, well, you, you can't sail Alaska in the winter, obviously. And the Med tends to be more popular in the summer. Weather's nicer in the summer. Uh, it's not really a convenient wintertime cruise. So you run into this, school's out. People are thinking that it's, uh, it, it's summertime, time to do beach things. Everyone wants to do it and not nearly as many ships. If you watch our broadcasts on Periscope, which have been a little problematic lately because of some uh, internet connectivity issues. But if you watch those, um, and you can check out cruisehabit.com slash Periscope to find out how, we will often, during the, the summertime, we'll go out there and on a Saturday or a Sunday, there are one or two ships leaving. 
But then you look at other times of the year, and maybe there's seven ships leaving, even eight ships leaving from Port Everglades. The difference is a little more extreme in Port Everglades and Port Miami, just the way that ships are deployed. But you, you get the idea. There are just fewer ships cruising the Caribbean during the summertime, and that uh, really drives prices up. For Alaska, um, you know, that's the only time, as I mentioned, they really can sail. So at the beginning, uh, usually around May, which in South Florida, we think of that as like summer, because once you get to May, it's it's hot and it's going to be hot for a while. So as a South Florida person, you'll pardon my lack of sense of seasons here. So in, uh, in, in May, we see the beginning of the Alaska cruise season and the edge of Alaska cruise season. Uh, can be a great time if you're looking for a deal in sailing Alaska. Now, some people will respond to that and say, well, the weather can be kind of unpredictable or lousy in Alaska that time of year. And my response to that is, yeah, it can. But from what I've experienced and from what I've researched of the weather in that part of Alaska, it's kind of like the weather in South Florida in that there are some trends, but really it's unpredictable and anything could happen. Um, anecdotally, I've been to Alaska in May. It was absolutely lovely. I'm sure there are plenty of people that had lousy weather, but I think you could probably find that many times of the year. You can also find repositioning sailings. As ships are leaving South Florida to head to Alaska, they're going to do a Panama Canal sailing. Those are usually expensive for a few reasons, but then they'll often stop in, uh, often California, either San Francisco or San Diego, and then sail up. Maybe they'll stop in Oregon, uh, maybe not, and they'll, they'll head up the coast before starting Alaska. Those repositionings can be a great deal as well. We did one of those from, from San Francisco, stopped in Oregon, um, went up through Alaska and Canada and, and ended in Vancouver. was fantastic. We have a whole article about what repositionings are, why they can be a good deal. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Uh, do keep in mind whether you're talking um, Alaska or the Caribbean or, or Europe or anywhere else, um, any cruise line, especially those that cater to um, North Americans or Americans in particular, Memorial Day is probably going to be higher than surrounding sailings. You're already taking a peak season and you're taking a big vacation holiday. So keep that in mind. Going to be more expensive. We definitely see some spikes there. As you get toward the um, further along in the summer and you get to, to August uh, and the beginning of September, things get cheaper again. Why? Well, kids just went back to school. So much like the, the reasons that we saw in uh, for lower prices in January, everyone already did their holidays. Now kids are back in school, not as many families taking off, especially. Sometimes depending on the cruise line, the year, a little bit of luck, you'll, uh, you'll even see a slightly uh, better set of prices in October. You can see a little bit of a dip there. It just depends. Something to keep in mind. September is also the end of Alaska season. So everything that I said just a minute ago about cruising Alaska in May and edge season, the same type of things apply. Um, weather patterns can be different, uh, different wildlife. You'll see one time of the year versus the other, uh, but same override overall idea, including those repositioning sailings, but that are now coming south from Alaska, from Vancouver, from Seattle. Now, November and December are probably some of the, or two of the stranger months to, in terms of pricing. There's just a lot of fluctuation, but there can be some really good deals within that fluctuation. Um, part of the fluctuation exists because different schools have different schedules, stuff like that. Um, the, the timing of different holidays once we get into December, um, but 
one thing that I like to point out, and, and you may have heard me talk about this before, is that Thanksgiving, if you're looking to take a family vacation, um, or vacate, maybe it's just you, if you're looking to take a vacation and use as little vacation time as possible, um, Thanksgiving can be a good time because while there are certainly less expensive times to cruise, uh, out of any time that you're going to likely have a couple days off already from work, um, or, or school as the case may be, Thanksgiving is, is really the, the most economical period of time like that. Um, and I'm going to get into a second about when to book. Uh, and the short answer is as far out as possible. That in mind, I've actually booked last minute um, on some sailings. Many I book far ahead. Thanksgiving, I, I often see some dips. Um, I'm not telling you to wait until last minute, book ahead of time, but it's just something I've noticed with Thanksgiving sailings. Uh, outside of Thanksgiving for November and December, uh, obviously the holidays are are expensive. Christmas and New Year's Eve sailings, those are probably the highest peaks. Not even probably. I'm looking at the charts I made. Those are the highest peaks in pricing that you see consistent across pretty much every cruise line, every part of the world even, um, you know, and, and lines uh, that cater to, to mostly European audiences, um, South Americans. New Year's Eve and Christmas, that's an expensive time to cruise. Keep it in mind. I've done one Christmas cruise. Um, haven't done a New Year's Eve one. I'm sure it's a great time. And and maybe that's what you're looking for. Or maybe that's the time you have. Just know you're definitely going to be paying a premium around then. But if you're saying, you know what? I want to cruise November, December. I hear it's expensive. Look at the exact sailings because maybe not. It just depends. Early December especially can, uh, can ha- offer some really great deals. Some of the lowest that we see all year, in fact. And what's nice about early December is flights tend to be more reasonable then too. Because I talked about how much I like cruising over Thanksgiving. Done it a number of times. Uh, we did, uh, let's see, last year we did the Symphony of the Seas with a royalcribbenblog.com uh, group cruise. That was awesome. year before that, we sailed Holland America's New Amsterdam. You can check out that live blog in the show notes. That's really great for me and for those of us who drive to the port because we don't have to fly. Flights around holidays in the wintertime are really, really expensive. However, that first part of December, you see some low cruise fares in the Caribbean, and airfares are not nearly as unreasonable as other times that part of the year, other dates that part of the year. So that, uh, that's a, a strong consideration if you're looking for an um, end-of-year cruise. Uh, also, you should keep in mind that when looking at sailings just on each side of Christmas and New Year's Eve sailings, even um, this, you know, it's a calendar, so we're looping back around, even into January, you'll, you may notice some weird anomalies. Let's say uh, you're looking at a ship that generally sails seven night sailings. But just before and or after those two winter holiday, holidays, you may see that they're doing a six-night or a five-night or whatever the case may be. And that's because uh, they may want to be at sea on New Year's Eve. And, you know, they, they don't want to actually back that up. You probably don't want to disembark on New Year's, right? Uh, you'll have a lot of tired, hungover people just not making it off the ship. There's a lot of reasons. That just seems like a bad idea. Uh, plus, people people wouldn't want that. They want to be out, um, you know, whether it's in port or at sea on New Year's Eve, not at the embarkation port or disembarkation port. So um, for that reason, some ships that sail regular seven-night or five-nine combos or whatever the case may be, uh, they may change it up. So you can see some unusually timed sailings on either side, which may offer some some good deals in and of themselves. 
so that covers the calendar year. And, and listen, there are going to be exceptions to everything I said. There are going to be weird outliers. I'll get emails about some ridiculously inexpensive Christmas cruise or some absurdly expensive cruise, uh, you know, that that leaves on January 5th. I'm sure they're out there. I know they're out there. I can see the spikes. Um, But we're just talking about guidelines here. If you want to make it easier to find sailings that work for you, whether that has to do with the lowest price or the most visits to countries that contain the letter Q. I, I don't know any any whatever your criteria. I always recommend using a good travel agent. Emphasis on good travel agent. I hear people say, oh, "I used a travel agent once, wasn't a good experience." Well, don't use them again. Um, and we go into that in the first timer series. I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, an article all about where I sing the praises of using a good travel agent. There can be financial value to that, but it also just can save you a whole lot of time and energy. It's not its not a matter of, oh, but it's so easy to use the cruise line websites. Great. Yeah, it's easy for me too. It's even easier for me to send a text message and have it taken care of that way, have somebody that knows my preferences and give, can give me good advice. So uh, check that out if you've not uh, read that article before. Um, so yeah, we, we covered the calendar uh, talked about the, the fact that there are exceptions. Now there's another element to best time to cruise. And that's when people say, well, when should I book? And if you're talking about when should you actually pick up the phone, uh, send an email, go onto a website and actually book the cruise. The answer to that is, as I mentioned earlier, as far in advance as possible. Um, people tell me all the time, oh, it must be great living in South Florida. It, it, it is uh, because you can book all these last minute deals. Isn't it really cheap? Don't cruise lines give you really great rates, rates when you book at the last minute? Well, sure. If they have a ton of space, then yeah, because they don't want to sail empty. Um, however, some lines, Royal Caribbean, notably in the last several years, they don't want to drop too low because they don't want to devalue their product, which I get. Um, there are still some good deals to be had last minute. Sometimes the overwhelming majority of cruises sail full and they book long in advance. Even if they don't book 100%, you say, well, I'm looking, there are a lot of cruises with space in the next several weeks. There are probably a couple cabins in each category. And as that happens, the prices will keep going up. As the ship fills, the prices go up. So what you will sometimes see is when it hits final payment date, depending on the length of the cruise, the cruise line, stuff like that, that could be 60 days out, 90 days out, 120 days out, whatever the case may be. You will sometimes see a dip in the price. Don't let that fool you though. Just because it's cheaper after final payment than it was three weeks before final payment doesn't mean that that cost isn't a lot higher than it was, let's say 18 months ago or 24 months ago when that itinerary first came out, when you could first book that online through your travel agent, whatever the case may be. So it's still overall best to book as far out as possible. Um, The other reason that you want to do that is simply that maybe you, you are so sure that you can get a good deal if you just wait. But you know you only have this one week to take vacation, and maybe you're even willing to make the fi- make a little bit of finance and take a little bit of financial risk. Excuse me, um, you, but you only have this one week. You, it has to be this week, this ship. Well, what happens if it fills up? Well, you're out of luck. So book early, especially if you have your heart set on something. Last minute sailings, when when there is crazy space and when you do get those rare, really good deals, that can be great if you have that flexibility. In general, book far out.
I think I said that enough. Did I say that enough? I said it enough. All right. Um, what happens though, if you book far out and you see the price drop? Well, this can depend on what country you're in, the cruise line and the type of fare you booked. If you are in the U S Canada and Australia or Australia, um, then there's a good chance that if it's before final payment, you can simply get the difference back. However, you got to look, you have to look at the entirety of the cruise fare. Um, you know, if it dropped $200, but you're giving up $400 in onboard credit, well, is that a better deal? Probably not. Um, so you have to, yeah, you do have to keep that in mind. Different cruise lines have different policies. And you know, if you have, um, certain types of fares there, it may be easier or harder. Um, now more and more cruise lines have these, uh, best rate guarantees, but there is a lot of fine print. I'm glad they do it, but there's a lot of fine print in there. So a lot of variables. If a price drops, um, after the final payment date, then at that point, you're probably, probably not getting money back. However, maybe you booked an ocean view and now a price of a veranda is the same or just a couple bucks more. You may be able to do something there. Talk to your travel agent. We've got a whole article on uh, price drops um, that uh, we will link in the show notes as well. In addition, episode 15, actually, the very last episode we did of the Cruise Habit podcast uh, was about the way that these all these fares work with... Um, non-refundable rates and, and different promotions. And that can relate to this as well. So you may want to check out episode, episode 15 of the cruise habit podcast. Now I want to take some time to read some emails on the last episode. I asked you what lines you cruise, what lines you'd like to cruise, why? And I got some great responses. So, uh, first email comes from, uh, GJ Marmot. I, I'm not sure how that was supposed to come together. Uh, do me a favor when you if, when you do write in, make sure you include your name so I can thank you for writing in. Um, GJ Marmot, whoever that is, <laughs> sorry, uh, writes, "Hey Billy, I really enjoy your podcast. It is thoughtful and does not appear to be a hype show for any particular line. No, because I can't I can't choose favorites." GJ, I, I love all of them. Anyway, my family has sailed on Oasis class and Voyager class with Royal Caribbean, but my wife and I are excited about the Edge, Virgin, and MSC. Me too. They all have exciting new ships and experiences. We're booked for Med Cruise on Crystal this year, so we're getting off Royal Caribbean at least once soon, but have two big, uh, two more big ships booked. As a cold Wisconsinite, I'm always conscious of the lack of Midwestern cruise perspectives. Most podcasts are rightfully from frequent travelers with easy access, looking for new ship information, non-Caribbean itineraries, and I really think you do a great job of looking across lines. Thanks for all the great work. Well, first, thank you for writing. Second, I'm sorry that my very next podcast after you wrote in was largely about Caribbean <laughs> and contemporary lines. So ill-timed on my part. But uh, yes, thank you. I appreciate it. I, I love feedback. I love knowing. Uh, I love hearing what people like, what people want to uh, hear more of. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm very jealous that you're going to be sailing on Crystal. I would love to uh, to get a, a full review from you, whether that's, uh, I don't know, Send me another email. Maybe we'll maybe we'll uh, have you on the podcast, or, or you can just write it up. I, even if it's just private, I want to hear your thoughts because Crystal is a very cool cruise line, and the Med is beautiful. So thanks for writing in. Um, it's a great point on the perspectives as far as um, you know from non cruisers. Maybe we can work on doing something about that, including perhaps a review of your crystal sailing. Uh, I think that's a great idea. It'd be interesting to think of uh, or to, to learn how 
others who can't cruise as often, who have more steps, you know, in terms of more frequently dealing with airfare and hotels and stuff like that, uh, how they think about things. So that's a good idea. I appreciate it. The next email uh, comes from, I believe it's, it's probably Crystal. I have a friend, Crystal, so I keep wanting to read your name that way. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> Crystal. Hi, Billy. I've been on five cruises, one princess uh, almost 20 years ago, and the past four on Royal. I have two Royal cruises booked this year and one celebrity that I will likely have to reschedule and potentially one more Royal. I'm ready to branch out to other less flashy cruise lines. I'd love to try Holland America, Cunard, and Viking. I have a 10-year-old son, so I need some, acti- uh, so need some activities, but she's not an adrenaline junkie. She'll love America's Test Kitchen on Holland America line. Once she's out on her own, I hope to try Seaborn or Virgin if they do longer cruises, but not itching to go. I'd love to hear about some more lines than Carnival, Princess Royal, and Norwegian. Gets repetitive. I like that you did a number of episodes on Edge and look forward to hearing something about Holland America, maybe even some info on Cunard. Happy sailing, Crystal. See, I didn't say Crystal. Very proud of myself. Um, So thank you for the email, Crystal. A lot to unpack there. Uh, 20 years since you sailed Princess first. I read that and I thought, wow, um, I'd I'd love your perspective if you sailed Princess again just to hear what it's like. I mean, every cruise line has changed so much over uh, over the last 20 years that, uh, that, that would be cool to hear, but it uh, sounds like you've got a number of cruises lined up. None, none princess right now. I did like the term use less flashy lines. Uh, that's, that's great. Um, you know, so much of, um, the big three will say NCL carnival and Royal Caribbean there, there's a lot, uh, of flashiness and that's not a bad thing. I actually think some of it looks really cool. MSC as well. Some of it looks amazing, uh, but that's not always what you're looking for. You know, different, uh, depending on your preference and just the type of vacation you want. I think that's a, a neat way of putting that. And there's, there's a lot kind of built into that. Uh, so your 10 year old daughter and I may have some things in common. You said she's not an adrenaline junkie and she'll love America's test kitchen. I did not sail Holland America when I was 10, but I sailed a lot of different cruise lines when I was 10. And I think I probably would have loved Holland America and America's Test Kitchen. I, I don't cook much. When I do, it's very, very simple. Um, I, the main thing I make for dinner is reservations. But uh, I, I did love America's Test Kitchen, um, partially because I'm kind of an NPR junkie, but I, I thought it was on the ship, really cool. And I look forward to seeing more stuff like that on Holland American and, and other lines because cooking demos can be neat, but America's Test Kitchen, it was, you know, the kind of the science and some tricks behind it. Really cool. Enjoyed that a lot. Uh, hope uh, hope your daughter uh, gets to enjoy that sometime. Um, upmarket lines like Seaborn definitely do longer sailings. You asked about that. Um, in fact, they primarily do longer sailings. Um, some lines like uh, Oceana up until very recently only did uh, 10 night and above. Now there are some seven night in the Caribbean, things like that. But yeah, as you go up market, generally longer sailings, Virgin voyages, we'll see if they end up with longer sailings because right now they only have uh, limited itineraries out and just for one ship where they're brand new. They're the new kid on the block. People probably aren't going to commit to a really long cruise with a cruise line that has never sailed before. So, uh, so we'll see as they, as they announce more itineraries on more ships across their fleet, it'll be neat to see. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Virgin came out with some longer itineraries, uh, in time. We are booked on Virgin Voyages September of 2020. We're really excited about that. You can check out everything we know about Virgin Voyages on episode 
don't have that in front of me of the Cruise Habit podcast. Uh, a couple episodes ago, we talked about Virgin Voyages. Check that out. It's really cool to see a, a new cruise line um, get birthed. Uh, lastly, Crystal, you said you wanted to hear more about Holland America. I'm so glad that you said that because in about two weeks, we're going to be sailing on Holland America's new Stottendam, their newest ship. She just started sailing at the very end of December. Uh, she's the second Pinnacle class ship and a little bit different from her sister ship Coningsdam. So stay tuned. We'll have live blogs, live broadcasts. We'll do a podcast recap, photos, all sorts of stuff from uh, Holland America's uh, new Stottendam. Look forward to that. And we are planning on a Cunard sailing in the future. Haven't been on Cunard in a while. Would love to do that and would love to bring that to all of you. So thank you again for all of your comments, questions. Crystal, appreciate it. Uh, last one is, uh, I'm just going to read actually some ex excerpts from this. This is from Kurt. And Kurt wrote in and him and I uh, went kind of back and forth. So that's why I just took a couple parts out of uh, a couple of Kurt's emails. Um, initially, uh, any idea how much airfare through the cruise line Royal Caribbean might be to Barcelona? So, uh, unfortunately I can't answer that question directly just cause there are so many variables. So, so, so many variables, you know, where you're coming from, the time of year, luck, airfare pricing is bananas, right? Um, but uh, I will mention that booking air through cruise lines is something that I want to discuss at length at some point on this show. The short answer is that sometimes it costs less and other times it can cost more compared to booking airfare on your own. So always check because you never know if you're going to get a good deal. Plus, people talk all the time about the benefit of booking shore excursions through the cruise line. But rarely do they talk about air, which comes with kind of some of the same benefits in that, you know, if, if your flight's delayed or something happens, they're going to make sure that you're taken care of. And if you were going to spend money on a hotel to fly in a day, two days early, whatever the case may be, so that you knew you were going to be able to get onto the ship, well, even if the airfare through the cruise line costs you just a little bit more, you can kind of avoid that because you know you're getting on the ship if you if you book air through them. So it's something to to consider. Uh, there's some, some lines include transfers. Again, we'll probably dedicate an episode to that in the future, but I definitely recommend checking out the, the pricing there. Uh, Kurt's other uh, excerpt that we took from his email here. Another idea is uh, more detail and options uh, about what to do in port, like multiple activity level options. Also, how does the port feel? Safe, very comfortable, or hectic and watch your wallet? I'm very glad to hear you uh, mention that, Kurt, as a suggestion for future episodes. One of our very first episodes, which we'll link in the show notes, was about uh, Key West. That was a fun one to talk about. Uh, Key West is kind of a unique port for a lot of reasons, but I enjoy talking about Key West. We have uh, an upcoming episode that I was actually hoping to have released already. I haven't. Things got busy. I apologize. We'll get there. On a very, very popular port. Uh, I will say it is a port that if you were listening to this podcast and you've taken a cruise, it is the most likely port for you to have visited. Figure it out. But uh, yeah, we're going to have a special guest on for that episode. And uh, and if feedback's good, then yeah, we'll keep doing more destination podcasts. I like that idea. Next, Amber writes, hi, guys. Love the podcast. You two crack me up and make my workday bearable. Thanks for all the work you put into it. Thank you, Amber, for writing in. Um, let us know if you need us to write a note to your boss explaining why your workday giggling leads to more time off requests. Common question we get, common request. Well, be glad to, to write that out on a cruise habit prescription pad. Um, also, uh, Amber put another note in just for Rick uh, with some information, which I'm going to pass along to Rick. Hopefully we can get him back on the mic soon. Uh, but yes, thank you, Amber, for writing in and for singing our praises. I appreciate it. 
If any of you have any questions or comments, suggestions, anything at all for us, do me a favor, email podcast at cruisehabit.com and we'll see if we can get to it on a future episode. That's podcast at cruisehabit.com. Another awesome way that some of you have uh, commented on the show is in reviews. So I want to reach out and thank Meadow Falls, Beat Carney, and Speed Noodles. We are glad you like our podcast. Um, those reviews were left on, uh, on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. Not even sure where the line of demarcation is anymore there. Uh, if you take the time to leave us a review, we'll take the time to thank you. So I appreciate it, uh, the three of you and everyone else uh, that we've mentioned before who's left a review. Thank you so much. However you are listening to our podcast, do us a favor and search Cruise Habit in iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave us a review there. Uh, that would be really fantastic. It helps get the word out. The last thing I will ask is that if you enjoy our podcast, articles, videos, broadcasts, uh, I don't know, cruise habit branded doilies. That's not a thing, but you know, who knows what the future will hold. Um, maybe you find the content helpful, uh, for vacation planning. Maybe you just like laughing at the weird things that, uh, that I say sometimes, um, <laughs> whatever the case, if you enjoy it, share the content with somebody else who will appreciate it. Knowing that you enjoy cruise habit enough to share our content with others really honestly means the world to us. I appreciate it. It helps get the word out, but also it shows just how much you guys appreciate it. And, and ultimately, you know what it leads to? It leads to more people writing in, asking questions that I love helping answer. Uh, I enjoy reading and informs what we talk about, write about, and share with you in the future. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming up. In fact, as I record this tomorrow, we've got something coming up that haven't even announced yet but you'll see it. I know you will. So be sure to follow along on cruisehabit.com. Subscribe to the Cruise Habit podcast if you don't already, wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all the things, uh, Google Podcasts. We're, we're everywhere. I appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe. Check out cruisehabit.com. Write to us podcast at cruisehabit.com and leave us a review on Apple uh, Podcasts or iTunes. Appreciate it. Have a uh, wonderful rest of your day and we look forward to talking ship with you again real soon. Hi, this is Crystal from cold but sunny Chicago and lifecoachingforgifted.com, a friend of cruisehabit.com. Follow Cruise Habit on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Subscribe to the Cruise Habit podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts, and please do leave them a review. Search Cruise Habit on the Periscope app to join the broadcast from ship and shore. They'd love to talk ship with you real soon. Take care.